John chapter 11, we're going to begin reading in verse number 45. As we are at the end of the story of Lazarus, and we are seeing the results of what took place because of the great miracle that Jesus did. We are in our series uh, through the Gospel of John, Knowing Jesus Christ. I believe this is sermon number 44, and we're about halfway through. And so, but uh, the, the, the whole, sh- um, the whole uh, focus of the book of the Gospel of John is about to change. By the, when we reach uh, John chapter 13 through the end of the book, Jesus is going to be mainly dealing with his disciples. Up to this point, he's been dealing with the Jewish nation as a whole, and that, uh, that focus is going to shift. And some of that is a result of what, takes, what has taken place in the rejection of Jesus. And we're going to see that once again here in our text this morning. Verse number 45 of John chapter 11. The Bible says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. That's a good start. Right? They saw the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. They came there and they saw this and they believed. Verse number 46, But some went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They physically saw the same miracle, but they didn't see. They were still blinded. They just went home. They left unchanged. Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? What are we going to do? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he, not of himself, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation and not for that nation only, but also he should gather together into one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, They took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. There continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake unto themselves, saying, Uh, spake unto themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come up to the feast? Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him, that they might arrest him. The title this morning is The Futility of Unbelief. The Futility of Unbelief of the rejection of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna, we're going to explain a little bit more about that. This is a, a very dark text, very sad text, 
But at the same time, there is some incredible light. There is some incredible things that we can rejoice in that can help us in our current situation that, this, that runs true, that helps us understand and know more about God and His goodness. The futility of unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. I just pray that you would... Uh, Guide my lips and tongue. I pray that you would speak to your people this morning, that you would help us to understand you, to lo love you more, to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many things that we can put all our effort into, but we cannot change the outcome. Right? There's a lot of things in life that we can put all the effort we want into, but it really doesn't matter the effort we put in. It really doesn't change the outcome. It's really kind of futile. Can I tell you this? Being a sports fan is an exercise in futility. You can scream at the TV as loud as you want, but that's not going to make the ump change the call from a ball this far outside to a strike, right? You can't change it. Now, he may be as blind as a bat, but you can't change it. You can scream, you can yell, you can throw things at the TV. It's not going to change anything. You can scream at your team, but that won't help your player catch the ball. It might just distract him enough that he never will catch it, right? Um, um, you, you, can, you can do all that. You can put all that effort in, and that there's a reason they call them fans. It comes from fanatics. And you can put all your effort in, but it doesn't change much. I can yell at John Carlos Stanton all I want, but he watches the pitch come over the plate, and then he swings at the one two feet off the plate every time. Okay. At least it feels like that. There's many other things. You ever attempt to get in and out of the DMV really quickly? If you want to get in and out really quickly, you're going to fail every time. We, we were getting the plates for the church van so we could make the trip. It took three trips. Three, right, third time's the charm. It didn't feel like that. It was like, uh, we have all the paperwork, we have all this. They said, no, you have to prove the existence of the church. I'm like, I, I have a state document with a state tax, uh, uh, tax exempt form here in front of you. That doesn't, I mean, the number's right there. Look at, we can't accept that. It's okay to have fun in church, right? We should. We can laugh at things about that. By the way, we should. Don't take sports too seriously. It will drive you up a wall. But, some but there are many times where it seems we're trying to do something important. We're trying to do something that is right. We're trying to do something that's good, and still our efforts can seem futile. How many times have you invited that family member to church? That friend, that friend, that neighbor, you've invited them to church to come and you've witnessed to them, you've shared the gospel with them, and no, I don't want to hear it. Oh, thank you for stopping by. We'll be there on Sunday. No. They've added lying to the list of their others, right? I mean, you just, you, and you go, I, they said they'd come, you're, you're trying, and it seems, it can seem futile. 
You, you, you look at your life and you hear the preaching of God's Word and you say, Lord, I, I need to grow in this area. Lord, I need you to help me uh, get past some of these things. I need you to help me uh, uh, get control of my temper, get, right? Just or whatever it happens to be. There's things I, I want to see the Lord change and I'm praying about this and I'm uh, being under the preaching and it... it uh, there doesn't seem to be any progress. How many of you have prayed for God to resolve a situation and it seems like nothing has changed? Not that God hasn't heard your prayers. God hears every prayer of His children and God um, will answer them sometimes with no, sometimes with later, sometimes with now. But it isn't that God is not caring about it, but sometimes we're praying and we know what we would like to see and that... That's not happening. It can seem that our attempts to serve God in many times are futile, aren't accomplishing all that much. But on the other hand, we can look at those who oppose God, we can look at those who are promoting evil in our society, and it can seem like they are accomplishing whatever they want. Right, okay? It can seem like we're trying to serve God and trying to do right and nothing's happening and we're just banging our head into a brick wall and then we look over here at those who don't care about God, who those who don't want or who or who are in fact opposing God and it seems like they're accomplishing whatever they want. Right now in India, we support a, a missionary family to India. Uh, they, are, they have an Indian, uh, Indian citizenship, and so they're able to operate in the country in the way that they would, uh, uh, way that they can, that an American could not. But right now, they're trying to, pa many states in India have passed anti-conversion laws, and they're trying to pass a national anti-conversion law that would require governmental permission to go to church. Require, if you want to change from being a Hindu to being a Christian, you would need to have the, your local representative sign off on that. To where that if someone simply passes you a gospel, gives someone a gospel track and they report it to the police, you could be arrested, you could be fined. Be, uh, all that it takes is an accusation. For the police to show up, there's been families uh, of the churches there that have been simply praying and singing in their home, and uh, the police have been called on them because they're holding church services in the home when they were just simply having family devotions. That's going on right now. In Canada right now, a pastor could be fined or even jailed for saying what the Bible has to say about gender, for what the Bible has to say about marriage. Seriously. And it's coming here. In our country, truth is being silenced while lies are being trumpeted and promoted about abortion, about socialism, which is a religion, by the way. Socialism is a religion. It's a belief in government as God. That, that's what it is. It's, a, it's a, an attempt to live life without God. If you say what the Bible has to say about marriage, that it's between one man and one woman, you're going to face some flack in our society. You're going, to, you're going to face some opposition. What the Bible has to say about gender, that the way God designed you, that you were born at the moment of conception, you were a woman or you were a man, and that's how God designed you? That's what the Bible says. But there's growing opposition to that. 
And, and uh, to, to say that, some are trying to label that hate speech, to simply say what is true, while what is dangerous, what is um, um, hurtful to people, is being promoted. How many young people have attempted to commit suicide after they've gone through the gender surgery? I mean, the suicide, rate, or suicide attempt rate of people who do that is hundreds of times higher because it, it, it destroys your mind, it destroys your soul. It seems more and more people are rejecting the truth and embracing the lies of the devil. Evil is being called good and good is being called evil. That really describes what's going on in our society. Good is being called evil and evil is being called good. Now, this, we should not be surprised at this. The Bible warns us. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They don't even feel, right? You would think someone would have some remorse if they're just lying through the teeth trying to hurt someone. No, their conscience is seared. They, don't, they can't see anything wrong in what they're doing. Pastor, thank you. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. I, I, I feel really encouraged right now. Just hang on. We're going somewhere. Does, but does not it feel at times that uh, trying to serve God, that all of our effort, it really doesn't accomplish that much, and yet we can look over here at, at the enemies of God and those who are opposing God and those who are shaking their fist at God's face, and it seems like they're making progress. It seems like they get whatever they want. I want to tell us, remind us, we are not in unprecedented times. The rejection of the truth is nothing new. Evil being called good and good being called evil is nothing new. It was taking place um, to Jesus Christ himself, who spoke the truth with perfection, with all wisdom. He spoke it with uh, perfect precision, and yet they still rejected him. In fact, the more truth he revealed, the more rejection he faced. You say, okay, pastor, where, where is the hope? Where, where, is, where are we going here? Well, we're seeing the rejection of Jesus. In our text this morning, what we're seeing is the, re, is the continued, really the final rejection of Jesus by those who had witnessed more of his power than anyone else. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, they received the report of what Jesus had done at the tomb of Lazarus, just two miles away from Jerusalem. We would say right in their own backyard, Jesus has performed the greatest miracle other than his own resurrection that would take place. Up to this point, the greatest miracle in the history of the world, really, was that Jesus stood in front of the tomb, and I'm going to go quickly. Um, Jesus stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, and said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, get over here. He called Lazarus back to the land of this world. Lazarus, Though his body had died, he was still alive because he was a believer in Jesus Christ. His soul had never died. He was in the presence of God there. And yet when Jesus called him, he brought him back into the land of the living on full display of the power of God. He came out of that grave bound hand and foot. How did he climb all the steps? When God speaks, things happen, right? There is nothing impossible with God. 
And there were those that saw the miracles who actually perceived what was going on. They said, there is no explanation other than the fact that this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. Um, maybe they had heard about many other miracles before. In my mind, I, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this. The, script, the, the text isn't clear on this. But it says here that those who believed saw the miracle. It very well could be that some of these Pharisees and religious leaders who were there with Mary and Martha had heard about some of the miracles of Jesus, but they never actually seen it. They had never examined it for themselves. And when they were personally confronted with the truth, they said, we can't but believe. We must, and, and everything changed. They, uh, they were confronted with the truth and they humbled themselves before God. By the way, this never would have happened if Jesus had not allowed those he loved, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, even the disciples who loved Lazarus, to go through something they did, that they did not understand. To go through some suffering that they thought, well, Jesus had just been here, this didn't need to happen. Jesus, why did Lazarus have to die? Well, Jesus needed to work on the disciples to believe on him, but Jesus also knew that there were some people who just needed to be confronted with God in a, in a way, and they would believe. Sometimes the things that God allows in your life has a lot less to do with you and has a whole lot more to do with those who are watching you. And so sometimes God allows things in our life that we don't understand, but it's not because you're out of God's will, though sometimes that can happen. If you are out of God's will, God can uh, move in your life in a way that hurts, in a way that's painful. It's called chastening. Um, but if, it could be that you're trying to serve God, and yet God allows something that you do not understand, something that you are struggling with, and yet it isn't really about you, it's about someone else. And so you just need to keep trusting God because you don't see what God is doing behind the scenes, and you don't see how God is going to use that. There were those who believed on Jesus. But verse number 46 tells us that some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They were confronted with the same power. They were confronted with the same miracle, and yet they left unchanged. You see, the answer was not more miracles. It wasn't like if Jesus could just do one more miracle, these guys were going to believe. It wasn't like if they could just see a greater display of power, they would believe. You can't prove God to someone who does not want to believe, to someone who rejects the truth. When I'm trying to witness to someone, when I'm trying to share Christ, to someone who rejects the Bible, oh, that's just a fairy tale. That's just the writings of men. Until they're willing to accept the Bible as the very words of God, they're not going to believe. They're not going to understand. How do I know there's a God? We accept it by faith. We accept it based on the words of God. Now, if you want to examine the evidence, the evidence backs up the veracity, backs up the genuineness of your Bible 100%. But until someone is willing to accept it, I don't care what proof I can lay in front of them, that's not going to change their heart. Because it's an issue of the heart, not of facts. And they saw the same miracle and they walked away. They went to the Pharisees. 
You're not going to believe what Jesus pulled this time. Right? He's done miracles before, but he's gone too far this time. It says there in 47, Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council. Okay? The chief priests would have been of the group that we know as the Sadducees. How many have heard that word, the Sadducees, all right? The Sadducees, uh, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, was a Sadducee. It was made up of many of the priestly uh, people there. They did not believe in the resurrection. They, they did not believe in the inspiration of any of the prophets, anything other than the Torah. They rejected that as man-made. So most of the Old Testament law uh, of the words of the word of God, they rejected. Eh, they didn't believe that, that there would be a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. Basically, we would say these were very uh, liberal scholars. I mean, they were denying the veracity of God's word, the inspiration of God's word. They were very much more interested in political and financial gain than they were in the word of God. Okay? The Pharisees, they were a very conservative tight-knit, um, we just know the word Pharisee, right? I mean, stringent group. They, had, they believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection, which they should have because that's in the word of God. They believed in all the scriptures, but they also believed in all of their traditions. They were so against the chief priest and the liberalism. Many of the chief priests were even uh, convert, converting to Hellenistic or Greek uh, culture and dress and some of that to fit in better with their society. And they were saying, no, 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 we need to, be, we need to hold the line on this. And they got so strict and stringent on that they completely forgot about God and made it all about themselves and their traditions in an attempt to keep the uh, Sadducees from corrupting the people. You talk about people on a completely different end of the spectrum. Normally, you could not get the Pharisees and the Sadducees to come together for anything but a fight. Okay, that's what happened when Pharisees and Sadducees got together. There was a complete uh, fight to literal sword fights that would take place in the Sanhedrin and on the temple steps as they were fighting over who would control that. But when it came to Jesus... The, come on, guys, we got to work together on this one. Bitter enemies became best friends to defeat Jesus. Notice that they don't debate the reality or the genuineness of any of Jesus' miracles. They go, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? They were simply furious that another miracle had made Jesus that much more public. They cared nothing for the people that had been helped. They didn't care that Mary and Martha had been comforted. They didn't care that the blind man from John chapter 9 had received his sight. They just were cared about their position and their power. They would, they would, can you see the selfishness and the hard-heartedness of these men? They could not deny that Jesus was doing things that could not be explained by human resources. They could not deny that he was doing um, miracles. But they wanted to stop him. Okay? In my mind, in the Sanhedrin, they had the FBI board with the different pictures of where Jesus had done the miracles and the strings running between them. Like He did one over here, and he, he did one over here, and uh, the, he's not stopping. And uh, these people, have, right? That, that's what, it's nothing about 
actually examining the miracles that Jesus had done, they had already rejected Jesus. It's about how can we stop him? The question is, what do we? What are we going to do now? We can't allow this to continue. The unbelief of these men is astounding. But it's no more astounding than the unbelief of today. When God's word is more um, available than it has ever been. There's unbelief in our own homes. There's unbelief uh, all over around us. We, how men cannot see the truth that is so clear and so evident to us. When, when a, one man said this, a man's unbelief is, far more, is a far more deeply seated disease than is generally reckoned. Their unbelief is proof against the logic of facts, against reasoning, against moral persuasion. Nothing can melt it down but the grace of God. But we see unbelief everywhere we go today. And, G- and John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, opens up to us the hearts and the motives of these men. Notice verse number 48. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. Here it is. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you see what they were really concerned about? You see, though Rome was in control, Israel currently enjoyed a certain level of self-government. The Sanhedrin was allowed to make decisions for the people. Uh, the chief, they were allowed to run the temple the way they generally want. And as long as there was no political unrest, as long as everything kind of stayed status quo, they would retain their level of influence. They would retain their level of power and uh, controlling the finances of the nation and all of that. Passover was a very volatile time as they were remembering the redemption of God from Egypt and they were looking for the Messiah and they just knew that if wind got out, if the, if the spark that of a Messiah was here, it could upset the whole apple cart and they could lose everything. What these men were most concerned about was not the safety and the welfare of their people, but keeping our position, keeping our place, keeping our nation. I just was thinking about this as I was studying. It said, take away both our place and nation. Now, place could definitely and does refer to their position of power, right? Their their authority, but it also refers to this, the temple. That's what they held most dear. The Romans are going to come and take away our temple. What Jesus had called my father's house it's ours. We can't let anything happen to it. Mine. They're going to take away our nation. Israel was called to be the peculiar treasure of God. They were God's people. And yet they said, no, these are, this is our nation. We're in charge of it. This belongs to us. Do you see the self do you see what's going on here? They're trying they're claiming for themselves what does not belong to them. They're claiming for themselves what truly belongs to God. Their fears, uh, one man said, was not for any concern uh, which they had for God's glory, nor were they even moved by patriotic instinct. It was sordid self-interest. 
They supposed his claims, Jesus' claims, threatened to interfere with their schemes of worldly prosperity and self-aggrandizement. As these frustrated men argued, all right, they're arguing, they're debating about how to solve their Jesus problem, the high priest Caiaphas stands up. Now we need to understand something about the high priest at that time. Normally the high priest was to be the direct descendant of Aaron. And it was to be a spiritual place of leadership. It was to be the one who stood between the nation of Israel and God and offered the sacrifices, the blood for the atonement of the people. He was to pray for the people. He was to guide and direct the people spiritually. But the Romans wanted to keep a thumb on it. And so the position of high priest was now only at the discretion of the Roman governor. The Roman governor appointed the high priest and he unappointed the high priest at his whim and fancy. And so Caiaphas is not here as a spiritual person who cares for the spiritual nature of his people. He's a politician and nothing else. He is concerned about keeping his position, about keeping his authority. And so Caiaphas stands up and goes, What are you guys arguing about? I'm going to give you the solution. I'm going to give you the expedient solution, that which would be the least trouble, that which is going to be the quickest and easiest way to deal with this problem. He was not interested in justice. He was not interested in what the law said. He was interested in keeping his position. He was interested in keeping his finances, his control. He was willing to do whatever it took Whatever was expedient, whatever would make it possible to do what he wanted to do. You talk about pragmatism, the end justifies the means. This is it in flesh and blood. No price was too high, nothing would be allowed to stand in their way, much less the carpenter's son of Galilee of all places, right? Uh, This wasn't going to take place. He stood up and said, we got to kill him. He, the only solution is we're gonna, he's, he must die. We're not going to lose this whole nation over one troublemaker. Get rid of the troublemaker because what's more important? We are. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees who normally couldn't agree on what the weather was doing outside. Wow, that's so simple. Caiaphas, thank you for leading us to the best solution. That is exactly right. You have to understand, this would be like the Senate and the House of Representatives being in 100% lockstep. You go, that's not going to happen in our lifetime. But it happened here as they were opposing Jesus Christ. Whatever it took. I mean, people who were bitter enemies. And it says there, they took, uh, from that day forth, verse number 53, they took counsel together. So suddenly they had a unified party. It was all unified in this one thing, stopping Jesus Christ. Many of the trick questions and plots and schemes that would take place as Jesus was in the temple during the Passion Week, um, should we pay tribute to Caesar or not? Okay, that was developed most likely during this counseling session, right? Okay, we can discredit him. Here's a good plan. Here's a good plan. Let's get some of these going. And they're like, let's get him. They sought Jesus, but Jesus withdrew himself to the wilderness. Jesus, 
By the way, he wasn't there, but he knew the hearts of men because he's God. He knew exactly what was going on. He said, my father's time is not yet. You can seek me all you want, but you're not going to get me until my father's time is here. But you talk about some hatred. Okay? Hang on. Everybody with us right here? We're going somewhere. You talk about hatred. You talk about evil. And those who know the story of the Bible, those who know the stories uh, that are in here, it would seem that these wicked men were successful. Was not just a few weeks later, as we're going to celebrate at the end of March, was not just a few weeks or months later Jesus crucified at the plotting and planning of these very men? Did, did not they manage to twist and uh, finagle and maneuver Pilate into into crucifying Jesus, and they even got a Roman seal and a Roman guard on the tomb to prevent any inkling that the disciples had stolen the body and there could be a resurrection. We could look at this story and say, does it not it seem like evil won there? Like their rejection of Jesus was successful? I mean, they got Jesus killed. But let's allow God's word to give us insight into what was truly taking place. Go back, read, let's read verses number 51 and 52. Okay, Caiaphas, or 50, let's give his, um, his prophecy, nor consider that it was expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation should perish not. And this he spake not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together into one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Caiaphas didn't even know what he was saying, but in his, in his political savvy, all that he ended up speaking out was the eternal plan of God of the redemption of not only the Jewish nation but the Gentiles as well by the death of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Caiaphas had determined that the easiest way to solve their Jesus problem was to murder Jesus. Yet even the worst plans and plots that evil men could concoct only put them in agreement with the eternal plans of God. Okay? Revelation tells us that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. That this was not a surprise that Jesus died on the cross. In fact, God prophesied about it at man's sin in Genesis chapter 3.15. That the serpent, that Jesus would bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. What other form of execution, capital punishment, bruises the heel besides crucifixion? Because the Romans would put the nail through the top of the foot for where it would come out underneath the heel of the foot and all of your weight would rest on top of that nail and it would horribly mangle and, I mean, it was the most horrible form of human execution ever devised by man and yet it was in the prophecy some 4,000 years before Christ was born. By the way, Jesus knew it. John chapter 12, we're going to get there. He said, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying which death he would die. Jesus would tell Pilate, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. 
He underst- Jesus understood perfectly as the Son of God, I have come to die. I have come to pay the price for sin. And Caiaphas', Caiaphas evil plan and all of his unbelief and all of his rejection against God only helped him fulfill the plans of God. Can you see that? That as he was rejecting God, we have to kill him. And they hatched all their plans where they could get the Romans to kill him so their blood wasn't really on their hands and they got somebody else to do it. Fell right in line with the plans that God had already formed. Didn't change God's plans one bit. G. Cable Morgan put it this way. Thus we had the most tragic and dastardly and diabolical speech on record and side by side with it, a statement that the devilry is gripped and mastered by God until the very thing is transfigured and became the statement of the gospel of hope for a dead world. Rather, their unbelief of God, as he spoke of that, actually reveals, no, God is not going to... God himself is going to die for our nation so that we don't have to perish. In fact, he's going to die for the entire world so that anyone who believes on him will not face the wrath of God, but can be saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You talk about God taking something that's dark and turning it into something that's beautiful. All of their uh, hatred of God could not stop the plans of God. How about this? Their attempts to arrest Jesus couldn't take place until God's perfect timing. They sought Jesus, but Jesus withdrew himself because there were prophecies. Daniel 70 weeks had not yet, Daniel chapter 9, had not yet come to time. They would be perfectly fulfilled when Jesus rode the little donkey through the eastern gate on what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, those who have, uh, there's been one man who actually did the math and said it aligns perfectly to the day. Jesus was going to wait until the plans of God were perfect. Passover had not yet come. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Their attempts to lay hands on Jesus could not be successful until the Father allowed it. They were raging against God and yet God said, You rage all you want, you're not going to get there until it's my perfect time. Their planning, their unbelief could not change the plans of God. Their their hatred and their rejection of Jesus could not even change the timing of God's plans. And the very things that they rejected Jesus for, we have to hold on to our nation. We have to hold on to our temple. 35 years later, the Roman armies sacked the city of Jerusalem under Titus. All that is left of that temple today is what is called the Wailing Wall. At that time, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Nothing is left. Gone. The nation of Israel, as they uh, held their place in there because of their... uh, Opposition to Rome as they sought to hold on to what they held most dear led to most of the nation being sold as slaves and scattered all over the world. What they were seeking to hold on to, they lost forever. In reality, despite all the hatred, 
despite all their intrigue, despite their rejection of Jesus, their unbelief was futile. Right? They accomplished nothing but their own destruction. The Pharisees and chief priests' opposition and evil purposes against Jesus were futile because the purposes of evil men cannot alter the gracious plans or the timing of God. It cannot. The opposition of those who reject Jesus Christ cannot alter God's plans and even God's timing. As we look around at the unbelief and the hatred of God and the hatred of truth in our world today, cannot seem like evil is winning in our own attempts. They are making the progress and they are accomplishing things. They have too much resources. They have too much power. They have no conscience to hold them back. The plans of those who reject Jesus in the end are only going to fulfill the plans of God. They can't stop the plans of God, the eternal plans of God that have been put in place. They cannot overcome them. They cannot change them. Yes, there is much suffering in this world as a result of wickedness. There is much uh, harm that is done. But they cannot change God's intentions and plans. And that is something we can hold on to. And that is something as we look at this wicked world, we can say this. I know the one who rules in the kingdom of men. All we have to do is look at the life of Joseph. God had revealed to Joseph that his brothers were going to bow down and they were going to um, honor him as their leader and as their king. The brothers said, we can take care of that. We'll just sell him as a slave and let him be worked to death. How many know the story of Joseph? They had evil intentions and it only worked out the plans of God so that Joseph ended up in Egypt. Now Joseph went through some hard times. It wasn't all roses and uh, birthday cake for Joseph there. It was, it, was very, it was very hard things. It was things he done, didn't understand. But at the end of his life, as his brothers were bowing before him, he was able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And your evil intentions did not change God's marvelous plans and did not change God's goodness in your life and in my life. There's wicked politicians in our country who hate God, who hate America. You know what they're doing? They're simply setting up the world for the return of Jesus Christ. You want a good definition of politics? Okay, I like doing word studies. What's poly mean? It means many. That's where it comes from. Ticks, blood-sucking insects. If you want to define... There's politicians right now who are introducing bills in their, in, either in Congress or in their state representatives that would remove tax-exempt status for any church that would not endorse and support transgender. What, I mean, not just allow it, but would endorse it and support it. It's things that are totally against the Bible would remove all protections that are... But God has promised that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against His church. And they cannot stop the plans of God. You look at that and you begin to go, man, 
They're going to get whatever they want. They're, they're going to accomplish it. They're going to do it. Wait a second. Let's look at the one who rules in the kingdom of men, who has eternal plans, and he has promised the gates of hell are not going to prevail against his church. That may mean we go through suffering, and it may mean we go through persecution, but that would not be the first time that has happened in the church. But what we can know is that Jesus Christ is in control, and even the evil intentions of men who hate God cannot change the plans of God. There are those who would seek to stop us from putting out tracks, putting out door hangers, inviting people to church. There are stories of people who hate, went and picked up tracks and threw them away only to have someone who was searching for the truth find it. They can do whatever they want, but they can't stop what God is doing. They cannot do to the people of God what God does not allow. Psalm 91 talks about a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. When God's hand of protection is over his people, it doesn't matter how Satan blows, it doesn't matter how he attacks, we're in the shelter of the Most High God. Number two, those who reject Jesus cannot change the timing or the completion of his plans. Jesus has promised, I shall return. He said, I'm going to return and I'm going to take all believers and I'm going to rapture them out of this world before the, the tribulation, before the judgment comes and they're not going to endure the judgment of God. That is still in God's perfect timing. It's not being rushed. It's not being hurried. It's not being delayed by the wicked men. God's plans are still there. You're going through a storm right now. You're going through some troubles. God's going to bring you through in His time. And though it seems like everything is again, no, God is still in control. He's the one who has the, top, the time watch. He knows what's going on. You may be waiting for God to answer. You may, it may seem like Satan is resisting. By the way, he does. Hearts can be hard, but God is still going to accomplish his plans. That's why we have to wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But that's when we realize that His timing is perfect. And His way is perfect. And He's going to accomplish it in His plans. You know what we need to realize too? Those who reject Jesus to keep what is more precious to them are going to ultimately lose what they're trying to protect. They're going to lose it. Those wicked men tried to stop Daniel. Who ended up in the lion's den? And didn't come out. Daniel went in the lion's den, but he came out unharmed. The other guys who were trying to entrap with all their intrigue, they got tossed in the lion's den too, but they didn't come out. What they were trying to hold on to most, they lost it all. By the way, there's a warning to, even to Christians. Don't hold on to what God is calling you to give. If God is calling you to surrender something, give it to Him. If He's calling you to change something in your life, surrender and obey Him. Because even in my short time in ministry, I've seen it too often. Those who say, well, I can obey God except for this, and that's the very thing that they lose. Well, I would never want my kids to be missionaries. And their kids end up not caring anything about God. 
I, I, would, I would never want to not have uh, this reason, whatever it happens to be. If God is asking you for it, give it to Him. Because He has what is best at, my, best at your heart. Best at His heart for you. See, those who will believe and obey God's promises will eventually know the joy of God's fulfilled promises. The unbelief of this world is futile because it cannot stop the plans or the timing of God. But that's something we can rejoice in because we know the one who's on the throne. And though it looks like things aren't going right and it looks like evil, no, 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 we have to understand this. It's their rejection of Jesus that's futile. They're not changing the plans of God. They're not altering the time of God. If we'll just hold on to God and we will trust Him and we will obey Him and we will surrender to Him, we will see God come through every time. In fact, their rejection of Jesus only helps them fulfill the plans of God in the end. Because God is in control. And though it can look hopeless, when we look at God, it's perfect. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I just pray. Lord, there's times our hearts can be heavy. We can be struggling, Lord, with even our own failures. But I know this, Lord, that you want to work. You have the power to do the impossible. Help us, Lord, to cling to you. Help us, Lord, to know that you are the one who's in control, that you are the one who can make all things possible. Lord, your timing is perfect. Your power is infinite. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you this morning, trust you in the coming days. In Jesus' name we pray, and we'll take a moment. The Lord has spoken to your heart. If you need to come forward and pray, you need to pray there at your seat. Let's just do some business with the Lord this morning.